So, the theme for the uh, evening talk is uh, right relationship. Um, of the many uh, uh, aspects of it, uh, one, just actually before coming in here, with the privilege of the uh, uh, laptop and access to the net, I was curious to see uh, if anything le was left of the United Kingdom <laughs> or, or is it the disunited kingdom <laughs> and today there was a march in London which more than 700,000 people took part in demanding a vote again in terms of our relationship with the EU. It was the second biggest demonstration this century, the last uh, uh, 18 years. Uh, one of the uh, prominent uh, speakers among many, including uh, uh, the Mayor of London, but also Member of Parliament, Sir Sarah Wollaston, and she is a Conservative uh, uh, MP with all the uh, pressure that goes to it, and she joined the march. And this uh, meant that in the BBC report there was an extensive quote from her and perhaps the only Conservative member um, on the reasons why we need another vote. And this you know, primary reason is that the truth of the situation has got clearer and clearer and the deceptions have gone further and further uh, 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 away. And one could put it in the context here of uh, relationship. It's about a relationship. In this case, it's about a relationship to the EU uh, there. I, I should add, of course, that this Member of Parliament um, is the Member of Parliament for Totnes. And <laughs> <laughs> Just want to add that sentence where I, where I live. Uh, <laughs> Paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. and, and in a right relationship, and just using this as one expression of it, it certainly does not mean to say, therefore, one is consistently in agreement with the other. A right relationship is one which, of course, has affection and has love and has appreciation but is also quite clear uh, about the concerns that one might have and find ways in the right relationship to bring about skillfully change and support through mutual listening. And that is a, an important underlying feature in a relationship where we are free to question. I just wrote a, uh, I may say, a blog uh, on this uh, there. And there are many things within the EU which I feel extremely uh, uncomfortable about. Um, one of them is the uh, situation where some of the biggest arms manufacturers are based in the EU, including Britain, which is Britain's largest uh, export. There's situations as, as well where the weight of the bureaucracy coming out of uh, Brussels is a real concern because communities and local communities and rural people do feel marginalised and uh, with a major disconnection from as the power base concentrates itself more uh, and uh, more. There has been exploration, exploitation of the richer uh, EU nations 
um, at the expense of other nations and Greece is a classic example of uh, a tragedy uh, which went wrong and so forth. So affection, love, appreciation, the recognition of connection and cooperation but not blind to the limitations, not blind to the fact that it is work in progress, not ignoring that some things need some action rather quickly because it's not climate change, it's climate crisis. And we see the evidence for this this year very, very uh, noticeably and very, very strongly there. And and what is um, an aspect uh, of this is looking at right relationship for a moment there with the larger picture. It is again, like with meditation and like with mindfulness and like with inner work, um, we can forget and neglect the larger picture. And that larger picture may need and require from us what can I as a human being do to contribute to a sense of the larger picture. And that will certainly include in that the way we use our lives, the way our lives uh, are passing by. And a a little bit of the sense just of the benefit uh, with this um, is in the right relationships there with, in this case, people that we know. And the people that we know might be the family line, the bloodline, both within our household, for one, and also, and equally, those who were in our household and have moved out and sometimes uh, further afield as well as the relatives and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents and the grandchildren and much, much more. And this is one of the areas which really do require a lot of mutual understanding and exploration and sometimes insights and letting go. uh, And And sometimes we, in our culture, with all the healthy and helpful resources that are taking place, for which that requires cost and payments, and so I'm thinking of social services here, I'm thinking of the lawyers, uh, I'm thinking of the counsellors, I'm thinking of the, uh, the uh, therapists who we need and who we use as a way to try to come to some mutual understanding and some clarity about and there's a real purpose for that. But it is a cultural phenomena. It is one which we uh, have got uh, used to in our society. And just to give a small contrast, uh, two small contrasts, or maybe big ones if you look at it. Um, I mean, in Palestine... Meeting uh, there, we, myself with some Palestinians, were discussing together problematic dynamics in the family constellation, in the family relationships there. And sometimes that can show itself in the behaviour or in the attitude or in the addiction, or in the breaking of the law, which brings to the family a bad name. And I asked, well, what do you do? How do you resolve uh, this? And one of the Palestinians said, one of uh, the members of the family who was engaged in some very questionable uh, activity uh, there. So they called a family meeting. They rented a hall. They sat on chairs and I said, how many were there for the family meeting? All family members. 
He said, mm, probably around 50. Some of us would be hard stretched mm-hmm. to go past six or seven <laughs> there. So the person who they wanted to talk to, the whole family was there. They wanted to know from him what was going on. They said the behaviour had to change. Uh, The meeting went on in this discussion there. And the outcome of that was he changed his behaviour. When you've got 49 members of your family (laughs) speaking to you pretty firmly about getting your act together, there. It has an impact. And it's just one of those uh, 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 examples. Another example, uh, this is in uh, relationship to uh, 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 India and uh, speaking to uh, Alexander, some of you will uh, know well, he's the head of a hospital, working with uh, children, has many, many years of this and he goes regularly to give support in Bangalore in South India to a major hospital. There were children with um, significant psychological problems will go actually from all over uh, uh, India. And he said their way of working is quite different in the form, this is back to the relationship here, to the form of the relationship that we have in the West. And I asked him to speak a little bit about this. He said, when you arrive in the morning, it could happen anywhere, it is, the whole waiting hall is packed tight. And in the West, it's not just that the mother or the mother and father, or just the father, take the child to the hospital. In India, he says, it's mother and father, it might be, and perhaps uh, the grandparents, they all want the best for the child. And he says, you walk in, and you think, this is complete chaos. <laughs> all these people, and all these adults, and old people, with with children with have some mental health issues and difficulties and struggles. And they have a system where quickly they find out can this, whatever it is, be addressed today? Can it be addressed roughly over how many days? Can it, does it, will it require a much longer period of time? And he said quite quickly they've organised it all out where the priorities actually are and which doctor addresses which kind of child. And they work, work that way. And it is extraordinary how much cooperation and connection is through the, the approach that they take. And quite quickly, that chaos actually has got some quite calm, clear order uh, to it. And the children feel supported because the mother is there and the father is there and perhaps the grandparents is there or a neighbour is there, all giving support to each other. And this, we use it just as a small example, methods and approaches that we have genuinely can work well with regard to relationship, but are saying also that to really keep our eyes and ears open for other ways of working which are different from the models that we have learned and for that we have to expand our cultural horizons and really see how do other people deal with these situations. What's their approach to it? And perhaps in the two-way street uh, of, of things and When in Thailand, in the listening and learning, I asked Sulak Shivaraksha, he is a leading Buddhist in uh, Thailand, controversial, radical uh, there. In this relationship, what, in terms of East and West, 
what I asked him what would you say about uh, your experience with the West of course he's been here he said what the West has in great strength is organizational skills the West has this he says very strongly this ability to organize uh, well but he says what, what we have in, uh, uh, um, in uh, the East have the, the sense of the spiritual which runs much more deeply uh, 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 w- uh, with us and we have our own variety of ways of doing things which are different from the West and as one example of relationship with the nature to stop um, to reduce the deforestation in Thailand there the activists including monks and including senior monks went to where the loggers were that means that there's the front line of the trees and they're cutting them down with these huge cutters they're not using saws anymore have these huge machines to just cut through cut them and what the monks did, because it's a deeply religious country, uh, Buddhist country, of course, is that they ordained the trees. Wow. <laughs> and around the trees, they put the robes of the monks. And the deforesters then touch those trees. And it's that kind of creative idea and the imagination uh, there. And all they had to do was to put the robes around the front line of the trees. And these kind of creative, imaginative ways, the East and West, we need to change, to look at the real relationship and any relationship which is problematic, is because either one or the other, as we've spoken here together, has got stuck in a pattern of a way of looking. Either one or the other, in relationship to whatever it might be, has got stuck in a pattern, in a habit. And the habit is governing the relationship. And it can happen very, very easily. We forget to take things for granted. We might assume the honesty or the integrity or the kindness of the other. I was in another country. The woman on the retreat, who is in her 50s, lives the life of a yogi. Small room, utter simplicity, giving huge support to her mother, who is in a home for the aged, not so far away comes on the uh, retreats, does a lot of Dharma service, very, I've known him 30 years, very, very dedicated. Her mother, in the home for the aged, um, is uh, experiencing uh, dementia. The sister, who lives over a thousand kilometres away, who very, very rarely comes to the home for the aged to see her mother, came there with a fresh will to be signed, and the will that the mother had made when she was in good uh, mental health was that the one thing she has of value was her house. Has two daughters, simple will, 50-50. Mm-hmm. 
The daughter came, who lives a thousand kilometers away, and got her mother to sign a new will in which the house went totally to her. And my friend, the Dharma friend, uh, there was understandably quite concerned about it and they spoke to her sister and the sister said to her well you just live a simple life you don't need it I've got two kids and the sister incidentally and her husband already own a house I've got two kids and we need that house more than you did. You, more than you did. And rather than wishing to create a conflict in the situation, the person I know was hesitating. She's gentle, she's soft, she's kind, didn't want to make a fuss. And I said to her, you can't go quietly on these things. Where there is injustice, where there is an abuse of trust, where there is an exploitation of relationship, it has to be addressed. Because once that kind of greed and selfishness has stepped in, it won't just stop there, it will be something else, somewhere else. And the outcome of that she then spoke to a doctor and to a lawyer. The doctor examined the mother and spoke with her. And two doctors both agreed and made a clear statement that her mother did not have the necessary mental faculties to take such a decision and therefore it, and then by the law it got cancelled <laughs> and I just use it as a small example there that one's quiet authority and looking at the dynamics of situations that, that movement may really require in certain situations the holding a situation and a person or another accountable. It doesn't help with the attack and the blame and the anger and the reactivity that we have already been speaking about. But also, one has to be clear, communicate, make sure that the other knows in the relationship where there is some violation of the trust uh, uh, there and then see what necessary steps and one of the reasons why it can happen in the family dynamic and quite often in the family dynamic is because the one who is engaged in some form of abuse tends to know how very, very unlikely it is that the person is going to go to the police. That's how they, they do it. So then we have to find uh, uh, situations and two or three of you in the days here have been speaking about some exploitation of uh, trust uh, which is going on currently in your own life and so this finding of relationship and the validity of it and the love which goes with it but the love also needs the real support of the clarity to go with the love otherwise the uh, Love may may get manipulated in uh, in some way or other. <clears throat> in the 
giving of attention to uh, 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 right relation, right relationship. The, the yardstick for any important communication tends to be fourfold. One, namely, talking to the right person. There. It's quite often a lot easier to talk behind the person's back about something, but we rather have to meet her or him or them somewhat uh, eye to eye. Second, of course, is the right, means right, skillful, appropriate uh, place for that to happen, wherever it might be. And sometimes home is not the best place. The reason being, if there is genuinely some difficulty uh, going on with the other, that the home kind of fades from the perception. The two people or more get completely engrossed in the issue because they're so used to their environment. Mm -hmm. And what gets said at home and the manner and the tone is not going to be said over a cafe latte. Therefore, the coffee shop can be a more effective place for resolution than the kitchen. In the kitchen, there's a chance that the cups will be thrown around, but it won't happen in the coffee shop. So, right person, right place, and the right, right meaning skillful, appropriate, Time and of course the right theme, the right topic. And for a relationship to evolve and to develop, you can't walk into an important communication with another and be unprepared. You haven't got a chance. Not a hope in hell that it will all go, as we say in England, swimmingly well. You will drown. Because one's got to know two directions equally. One has to know oneself, obviously. Knowing of oneself, in this case, is what is the preparation I need to do to really be really well informed, to really understand and to be able to communicate in such a way that I will get heard. It's not about you and I getting something off our chest. For that, if you want to do that, then go out in the forest and shout at the trees, uh, remarkably uncomplaining but if we want to be heard by the other, it's going to require the content has got to be extraordinarily precise. The feeling message and tone has got to be precise. The level of the voice has to be rather quiet and precise. Because if you go in there with, like you're holding a machine gun, and you're going to blow this person away with all your great insights into their what they they do, they'll be gone. And the precision and the precision. What I mean by this is, if you say this person said this, you better make sure he or she said it exactly. Precisely, if you exaggerate one drop, you're a goner. You might as well go home and pull the bedsheet over your head. Because the person will have an excuse to take offence at what you are quoting. 
And even if you quote precisely, they may not want to remember or may not remember. And the general yardstick is as close to today as possible. Sometimes we can't even remember what somebody said five minutes ago. One needs mindfulness. Remember, mindfulness includes memory. And, and the attitude is not using the voice for the relationship and the statement as a weapon. This is the skill to staying chilled out, staying cool. What is the voice and the words which is invitational? It is an invitation for the other to respond. And to keep asking, and it's, it's quite often more effective to keep asking the questions than keep providing the answers. I notice, as one of those who engage in the variety of uh, uh, conversations, particularly like yourselves, many, maybe most, all of you here, we might we might know quite a lot about our particular topic, our issue, our yeah. we might have some authority. We're mindfulness teachers, we're therapists, we're professors, we're we're doctors, we're activists, we're managers, we got authority in a variety of areas. But unfortunately the archetype in a relationship with the other where we are bringing in our knowledge and our expertise or our perceptions of the other. The other may immediately react. They've hardly got a word out because they suddenly see the counsellor, the therapist, the manager, the meditation teacher, the mindfulness trainer, or the doctor, the dentist, or whatever it might be. And as soon as, it, as, soon as that's there, the person hears it that we are being patronising. We think, they think, and they might even tell us, you think you know more than I do. Whatever. You're just identified, I'm using this because I've heard all these myself, so. <laughs> you, you, you're so identified, it's another one, you're so identified with your role, you can't communicate without slipping into the role of being a teacher. Yeah, one or two of my relationships have been like that. Or whatever else it might be. It's not an not easy skill to find ways to find the relationship without imposing one's knowledge or authority or role elsewhere. Not easy. My... I, mentioned maybe here or elsewhere classic example my dear beloved late mother uh, uh, there. so <laughs> two kind of two in incidents this is in, in public talks by the way both of these and um, just thinking about it makes me, makes, makes me smile so, I was giving a public talk in the hall. My mum's in her late 80s. She's sitting at the back of the hall. And so I give a talk, whatever it was about. And then she puts her hand up and waves. Because <laughs> I asked, are there any questions? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> 
And she, she said to me, when you were a monk, and people didn't know it was my mother, I mean a few friends did, but no, when you were a monk, you wrote to me and said you were fully enlightened. And so I heard that and I said, no I didn't. <laughs> and then my mum said, yes you did. <laughs> and I said, no I didn't. <laughs> and people were looking around over the shoulder at this little old lady at the back and looking at me and we had this little dance of, yes you did, no I didn't. <laughs> uh, etc. Uh, uh, like, like, like that yeah. and then another public meeting this time she's sitting I've still got the pictures you can tell she's sitting right in the middle of the hall and I hesitate to say any questions because <laughs> she's going to put her hand up and there she's going, yes <laughs> What do you want? <laughs> she said, You help, this is her words now, you help so many people. So, why is it that you can't help me? I have my problems. You help lots of others, but you can't help me. And although I didn't say it, but the, the memory came, and it re reflects a little bit a few words ago, is whenever my mother might mention something, the health issue, getting old, some worry, anxiety about something, son wishes to help the mother. And so often, what I would hear from her you don't have to tell me that. I know that already. And I've lived a lot longer than you, you know. <laughs> Famous one-liner. Uh, uh, there. And so I've had much more experience than you. So how can you tell me that? <laughs> Etc. And this, this is the regularity of it. Uh, there. But then, let's see, the gods are with one. And a friend who, in, he said, Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Titmus, <laughs> could I say a word? Can I, I might be able to help. And she, mum said, Oh, yes. <laughs> what would you like to say? And he said, um, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist. <laughs> and he said, In the training that we have uh, to be psychotherapists, we, uh, we learn and we un un understand that it's very, very difficult in a close family relationship for one to step into the role of being a psychotherapist with your, as your wife, for your wife or your husband or your son or, or, or your daughter. There's so much closeness that it's really very, very rare that the role with a close family member can work. And that's why Christopher has been able to give support to uh, others, but it could be difficult with you, like that. And my mother said, Oh, really? Oh, that's so good to know. And after that, never a problem with my mum. Never anymore, why can't you help me? The voice of God in the form of the psychotherapist in the audience <laughs> had spoken from above to my mother. She's extraordinary. And sometimes, as a statement, in right relationship, it could be that the dynamic isn't working so well and it could be that another who is not so close or involved or whatever, her or his voice might be able to connect. In a way, we can't, but perhaps sometimes somebody we know might be able to speak and 
and connect, say, well, what's the problem anyway, I can help, or, or, or whatever. We shouldn't imagine, really, that we, even if we have the knowledge, the skills, the understanding and the wisdom, we shouldn't imagine, imagine therefore, I can be of real service to the other. Sometimes there's too much history, family one and other ones, which actually get in the way. And we just need to acknowledge that and recognize that and say, okay, somewhere else, some other way. <coughs> if in the dynamics of uh, 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 relation, uh, relationships, one of the important areas to, and in fact for all of us in a way, to attend to and deal with, whether it's understandable, it's not understandable, or somewhere in between, and what I have in mind here, there are people who have been, or who are, very close to us in life, long-standing friendships over decades, children who've been very close, living very close if they've left home or in the house. There. People, workplaces who, with whom we've made a lot of friends. And it is not easy when sometimes such people step out of our lives. They might step completely uh, out or they might move a long way away. And for the one, so to speak, who is, so to speak, left behind, it isn't easy in the relationship to let go, to recognise certain kind of freedom of people to be with us as close friends or as children or partner or whatever. And who for one reason or another decide to step away, move, move away. The ease we have with those kind of changes, and they are major changes, it will be easier for the one who moves away to sustain the relationship. Understand? If we put a lot of pressure and anger and blame and therefore guilt on the other for leaving us, for moving away from the friendship, to moving to another part of the country or even to another country uh, or whatever, and we make the person really feel really uncomfortable about it, the response of that will be an increased emotional gap in the relationship. It won't be just be a physical one or a distant one, it would be an emotional one as well. Because the outcome sometimes is guilt. And guilt is a terror for eating away love and friendship. And we have to be kind of in touch as much as we can with what is uh, uh, happening. And in some situations, the anger and the irritation is there. To give you an example, what I mean by that, a, a friend has recently, woman friend, um, after um, some years, quite some years actually, decided to uh, end the marriage. You know, I don't know how it is in Germany, but the average length of a marriage in Britain is uh, eight years. It's going down um, year by year. And it could be in my lifetime, it will be down to eight weeks. <laughs> we shall see. And, and of course it's about relationship, of, of, uh, obviously, and in the kind of culture and society that... Uh, uh, we live in changes in relationships uh, uh, are frequent enough. It isn't an easy one, 
and it isn't an easy one to make the transition from, let's say, marriage, relationship, intimacy, to one of not living together and friendship. It's quite a, quite a challenge, as, uh, as we know. And in this case, the example that I have in mind, the husband is very upset, very irritated, and the outcome of that is the mood of the husband is very unreliable. So one day it is, I love you very much, please come back. And she feels there's just too big a gap between them and she's generating a different kind of life uh, for herself. And he's being warm and loving, but she makes it clear that she really needs a different way of life at this stage in her life. And the next time, it's all pressure. You have to come back. You won't survive on your own. You need me. You can't live without me. Uh, uh, there. And the next time he's offering, because there are a couple of some kids involved in this, offering some monthly support, uh, there, thinks it's clear. And the next meeting, you're not getting any money out of me, you know. You're not getting the, half the house, you know. All of this dynamic. So the relationship is really, really uncertain. And the person went away actually to see some uh, uh, friends uh, for a weekend recently and he had in this case, fully agreed to be with the kids, take the kids and went away. Um, and I thought to myself, and this quite often happens, the physical absence just for a couple of days that the irritation began to grow and when she came back to her flat, not far from where they live, he was really angry with her for going away for two, for two days. And then it would change again, and then be warm and welcoming, etc. It's just an example in relationship. It isn't easy to be with, and it isn't easy to let go either. And we have to find creative ways to initiate connection and love and friendship and be clear about each other. And also, when change may come, the other departs, might die, might wish to live elsewhere, might move out of our life, might cut off the friendship. It genuinely isn't easy to recognise that, that people make these steps, they have some impact on us. And to stay quietly steady, and I, if I may say, as a Dharma teacher for a moment, people have come on the retreats, I may have known her, him or them for uh, quite some period of time. I've uh, given a lot of, uh, as much as I can, love and support and connection uh, there. And then something may have happened uh, there which they perhaps strongly disagreed with something I said, didn't give the person enough attention, uh, in the retreat, in a one-to-one, or whatever it might be. And those of us, like many of us in the hall here, may be in some kind of role of authority, and though there may be some, the relationship which is warm and friendly over the period of time there, sometimes the smallest incident and the person's mood, attitude and view of us can change radically. And sometimes in the change of view, you know, the backbiting, the negativity, 
or, or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes it's the smallest, smallest thing. I was in the centre, this always sticks in my mind, in, um, uh, where was I? The Insight Meditation Society Centre in Barry, Massachusetts. There. And it's, you know, it's a well-established centre since the mid-1970s there. And Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, he's one of the senior teachers uh, there. And one of the students, one of the practitioners, in the morning work period was um, in the staff dining room, cleaning up the tables and da-da-da. And Joseph was having his breakfast and reading the New York Times. <laughs> and the student came in and saw this and then spoke to me and said, I'm completely disillusioned with Joseph. <laughs> He is teaching mindfulness and meditation and concentrating and he's sitting there eating his muesli and reading the New York Times. And then he said to me, what do you think about it? As they do. And I said to him, I'm at home sometimes at breakfast I am eating my porridge, reading The Guardian, and listening to the news on the BBC. <laughs> I said, that's my answer. So then he has two to get disillusioned with. <laughs> Sometimes... We have this romanticized, idealized, spiritualized idea of how a person should be. And if something doesn't meet the picture, the relationship can fall apart. <laughs> Completely disillusioned, those were the words he said. So the humanity of each other, the friendship of each other, the catching the um, uh, projections. And sometimes in right relationship, this happens in uh, Dharma circles, but also in other circles as well, whether of authority and relation, relationship. The person, she or he, may come to us and may have some feedback which they give to us. And it, the leader, the authority, the teacher, whoever, whatever. And it's very easy when the feedback comes to kind of switch into some union role Oh, it's just your transference. It's the great escape for the teacher. It's just your transference. Uh, there. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it's more accurate than we wish to admit to ourselves. And then we kind of escape behind a language so that we don't have to really listen. And sometimes, even if the person is saying it with some anger and irritation or upset or annoyance there, not always, but certainly quite often, in the statement of what is said to us, in our authority, I've got in mind here, there could be truth in it. It's not that anger and blame and reaction has no truth. Somewhere in it, if we can be calm and clear enough, we might just pick out, oh, there's something here in this. 
But we are more effective in relationship if there's no blame and no anger. And then there's more chance to get heard. Much more chance. I, in, um, uh, in India, where I go, uh, I stay with a rather wealthy Indian family. I've known them many years on retreats and uh, and they're, they, 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 they're a wealthy uh, uh, family. They took me out to, to dinner in February. And sitting at the uh, next table was the daughter of the former Prime Minister. So it's those kind of circles, etc. Yeah. And um, she kept on looking across. I couldn't make her watch. She kept looking because I was in my... Indian uniform, you don't see so many Westerners in there with this for the long... Anyway, so the idea hosts with the several staff, the cooks and the chauffeurs and the cleaners and that, quite often will shout at their stuff for not doing it properly or not doing it or yeah, shout quite quite loud. So I uh, said the shouting because it's pretty regular is the best contribution that you can make for them not to cooperate with what you want. Want to really, if you really don't want them to cooperate and to understand your point of view, shout at them. Because that shouting, I said, just look, they have gone deaf. Shouting is okay, but it needs to be in an urgent situation, very, very occasional. And she said, oh, but Christopher... I won't shout on them. Mm-hmm. They won't do anything. Mm-hmm. I said, but look, you're shouting at them mm-hmm. and they're paralysed. And that, that's uh, this resistance. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hear this attack, 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 attack. <laughs> the husband said, we learned shouting at the servants from the British. <laughs> Who am I to argue? <laughs> Still goes on. <laughs> and to get people to cooperate together, it still requires affection and love and relationship. And if too much too much is going into one area of relationship called your husband, called your wife, called your kids, called your family. It could be that it is at the expense of other areas of relationship. And therefore the relationship with animals matters. The relationship with strangers matters. The relationship with the unfriendly. The relationship with the environment. So, talking of a uh, rich life and an awakened life we really, like with everything else have really got to open the life out to all these areas of relationship because that's what uh, life is and in that exploration of, of that that will help environment animals, meaning creatures and humans and family to fit in Sometimes we're making such a big fuss about one thing, it's because we're neglecting somewhere else. And that just finally, keeping that perspective uh, uh, alive, and out of the many people that comes to people that you and I know, sometimes it's just one or two people that need skillful communication. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. 
There'll be just a tiny number of people that need some extra work, extra attention, extra, extra, extra love, extra support, extra understanding. And to really remember, never to ask of another what we haven't understood for ourselves. Not to expect another if we ourselves can't walk the talk. All right. Thank you for lending an ear. Let's have the quiet minute together, please. explore the vast field of relationship. May all beings appreciate the deep significance of love and mutual understanding. May all beings find a wise voice in the face of events. Thank you for lending an ear.